Well, months ago, I was looking forward to this date because I knew our baptism was going to be this day, and I knew there were many people that were going to uh, move in a great way uh, to make that commitment. And I started thinking about the early church and a couple of practices that they committed to, and I wanted us uh, to be able to commit to uh, understanding more about those two practices. Now, there were only two practices in the church that they thought were so important that they should be uh, practiced regularly. And the two practices uh, actually became sacraments. And sacrament is just a big word that means this, that it's something that is ordinary, but it becomes a vehicle for extraordinary or supernatural kind of meaning because God comes in the midst of what is very, very practical. And the two steps or the two practices that we want to talk about today are baptism and communion. So in your program, that's your first two fill-ins. If you're doing it on your app, you can just go to uh, your app and put those in there as well. But baptism and communion. Now, baptism is just kind of ordinary water. Um, There is nothing within the baptism water itself that makes it uh, special. But when baptism takes place, it's not about the water. It's about what happens in the sacred moment of a person pointing their life to God. And in the same way with communion, when we take communion, it points us towards God. And so there is something that is sacred about that. And we'll experience that at the end of the celebration. Now, again, uh, communion is just ordinary bread and ordinary wine or grape juice. But in the midst of that, when we take it, there's something supernatural that happens because we remember and we get connected with the one who knows us best and loves us most. So today, what I want to talk about is why was it important for the early church to keep practicing these two sacraments for over 2,000 years? And what can we learn today in understanding these two things? Now, we're going to begin with a meaning question this morning, but I want to start by us all kind of having a mass confession. So, how many of you have ever done at least one thing in your life that you regret? Okay? Okay, keep your hands up if you are. Okay, there you go. Now, how many of you have ever done something in your life that you wish you hadn't have done? Raise your hand. Okay? And the last one is, um, how many of you have ever done anything in your life that you're embarrassed by, okay? Okay, look at this. You are with a lot of messed up people this morning, all right? But we've all done this. This is part of the human condition. Uh, Several years ago, BK, before kids, uh, my wife and I went on a great vacation, just the two of us, by ourselves. And we went to San Diego, California. And while we were there, my wife learned that there was a beach called La Jolla that uh, was beautiful and there were uh, seals that would come up and you could watch the seals and there were many uh, celebrities sometimes that would come to this area because it's one of the most affluent areas uh, in all of San Diego County. And after we uh, enjoyed experiencing the beach and the seals, uh, we decided we'd walk up to some of the little shops that were there and like we were told that you could see a celebrity. And so we go to this ice cream shop, and as we walk in, we see this guy. 
Anybody know who that is? Tom Cruise. And everyone in this shop was like so excited and pumped up about it. Actually, I wasn't that impressed. Um, He's a very short man. Very, very short. And I felt bad for him. Like, I really did. I I thought, what? You know, kind of sucks to be you, you know, kind kind of thing. So... Uh, we get there, and Jen, for some reason, whenever we're around celebrities or we see someone who's important, she's always very concerned that I'm going to say something or do something that will make it more awkward. So she looked at me and she said, don't do anything embarrassing. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Don't bring attention to ourselves. Don't try to be funny this time. Just, you know, don't do anything. Just be cool. Now look at me. I am the poster child for cool. You know what I mean? Like, why would she worry? So we go and we get our ice cream cones and we're getting ready to walk out. And as we walk out, there uh, is something that Jen realizes that she's missing. It's her ice cream cone. She got so involved with Tom Cruise that uh, she forgot her ice cream cone. So she goes back in. She gets her ice cream cone. And uh, she tells the guy behind, she's like, what's up? You know, I need, I need my ice cream cone. And then she said, Tom Cruise looked at her. Tom Cruise spoke to my wife, and this is what he said. Lady, you put it in your purse. <laughs> now, to tell you the truth, that part really didn't happen. But <clears throat> I'll have to ex- confess that to my wife later on, you know. Um, she's at a... She's out of town today. Now, here's the point, folks. We all do embarrassing things. We all do things that we regret. We all do things that feel kind of awkward. Some of these things are really dark, and they're painful. And there are times where we go through life, and because of the things that we do, we feel shame and we feel guilt. Sometimes we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and we think to ourselves, Why did I do that? Why did I say that? In fact, we all understand this because we all do this. The Bible puts it this way in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's read this out loud together, all of us in one voice. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us understand that. So, you and I realize that we fall short of God's standard. That there is actually this gap that is between us and God. And there's no way that we can ever get to God in our own good deeds, whatever we would try. And so what the early church clung to is that they believed that it was Jesus Christ who came to actually help bridge that gap so that we could get connected to God. But you always have to remember, folks, it's not that we were pursuing God, but God pursued us. While yet we were still sinners, God pursued us. And Jesus wanted to be very, very clear on this. So he gave his followers a couple of practices that we're talking about today, baptism and communion. And this is why he did it. Because he had experienced it and he engaged in it. He commanded them to do it. 
Jesus actually engaged in these things, and he commanded his followers to do it. Now, these practices, they've been experienced for over 2,000 years. They've continued to go on. Now, sometimes we treat them as very casual deals. We get ready to take communion, and in our mind, we're thinking to ourselves, my checkoff list today. I've got to go to the grocery store, Meyer. Oh, that person in front of me, their head is really big. Why can't I see around them? And all of a sudden, we get very distracted by this, and then we take communion, and we don't think anything about it. But it wasn't a casual deal for the early church. It's not something they put on autopilot. People who actually chose to be baptized and to take communion in the early church, they realized that in doing so, they might be persecuted. They might be put down. Many of them who were Christ's followers, when they would get baptized, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. So this place that they had worshipped their entire life, once they chose to turn to Christ and they were baptized in the Christian faith, they were kicked out of the Jewish synagogue. Many of them had family members who kicked them out of their family, and they did this anyway. And people have practiced these sacraments for two millenniums, knowing that they would maybe have to sacrifice a job, sacrifice something else in their life to experience this. I was reading some studies this week uh, talking about uh, countries and whether or not uh, baptism or communion was allowed. And in countries like North Korea and Saudi Arabia and other countries in the Middle East, um, you can actually be arrested if you are found to being baptized or experiencing communion. So I want to focus on these two practices and why they matter so much. First of all, let's look at baptism and we'll kind of do a Q&A question and answer about baptism. First of all, what is the meaning of baptism? What is the meaning of baptism? Baptism is a public event in which a person is actually welcomed into the family of God. Baptism becomes that uh, point where a person says, I want to give my one and only life to obey his teachings, and they are welcomed into that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, growing up, baptism uh, was something that Being a PK, we talked about all the time. But I always struggled with, was baptism something that Jesus invented, or was baptism going on before that? And actually, baptism had its roots in the Jewish faith uh, long before Jesus ever came on the scene. And so, if a person was a Gentile, in other words, they were a non-Jew, and they came and they said to the people of Israel, hey, I want to be a part of your community. I want to worship this one true God that you have. The one way that they would show this conversion is that Jews would actually get baptized. And it kind of spread to a point where Israelites actually started using it as one of their practices, and they would be baptized for the repentance of their sins. And we see this in one of Jesus's uh, cousins, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And why do you think they called him John the Baptist? What do you think he did? You are so bright. Smarter than the first celebration for sure. Okay. Yeah, they baptized people. And it wasn't a denomination then. It wasn't Baptist. It wasn't like Jesus had some other cousins like Simon the Methodist or Bubba the Presbyterian, you know. Those things didn't come out that way. It was just John the Baptist. 
But baptism became a way for the Israelites to repent and then to actually say, I want to be known and cleansed and identified with this true God. And Jesus himself, amazingly, got baptized. He, he came to earth and he said, I want you to know that, yeah, I'm 100% God, but I'm 100% human as well. And in the moment of baptism, he showed his humanity, something that he could connect with you and I. And then he lived his life and he eventually went to a cross and he died upon it. And then he rose from the cross three days later. And for 50 days, there were 500 people that had eyewitness accounts of him walking around, a person who was dead but was now alive again. And just before he ascended back into heaven to be with the Father for the rest of his life, he looked at his disciples, he looked at his followers, and he said these words. He said, now you, go and make disciples of all the nations, Jew, Gentile, all the nations, anyone, everyone, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next question. How much water does it take to get baptized? I thought you would laugh on that one. You know, the first celebration didn't either. I should have scratched that question, I guess. What we're talking about here is the mode of baptism. In other words, do you sprinkle? Do you pour? Do you immerse the person? Is it one time forward, one time backwards, three times forward? Do we pour? Like, how much water should we have? Here's the point, folks. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. The reality is, is that the water is symbolic. I mean, only God can make a person new. Only God knows the human heart. Only God can do that. And water is like this powerful picture of being cleansed and made new. Next question. Is baptism a guarantee of getting into heaven when I die? Now, there are multiple traditions that look at this very, very differently. But folks, the answer to the question is no. The offer of forgiveness and the new life in our world now and forevermore is given by God. God's the one who chooses that. He extends grace. He extends forgiveness. He extends love. And to those who choose to be followers of him. Forgiveness is something that we simply have to respond to. It's about a relationship, not a ritual. It's about a relationship with a God who loves you, not a ritual of just getting some water poured upon you. In fact, I tell people all the time, there is nothing magical about the water here at the YMCA. I'm sure there's some things that have happened in that pool that are not magical, okay? And the same thing with Prairie Creek Reservoir. There is nothing there that is magical about the water that those 20 people will be baptized in today. I mean, if, if you're counting on getting into heaven because someone sprinkled you or poured you or immersed you, that is not the understanding of the gospel of what Jesus talked about. Now, once we do get baptized and we say, hey, I want this relationship, and we start working on knowing him better in all areas of our life, of course he says, I want you to be in heaven because you've chosen to follow me. But it's always because of what he has done for us, not what we have done for him. It's a relationship, not a ritual. Next question. Is baptism for adult believers only or is it for infants? Some of you have come from different traditions or some of you may have come from no tradition whatsoever. 
But there are two kind of thoughts. There's one group that says, I think you should be a believer, that you should understand uh, what it means, and others who baptize as infants. Both authentic believers, both good people, both uh, thoughts are very understood and have good theological understanding behind it. Now, adults or believers' baptism is where a church believes that people should be at an age to where they can actually make a commitment to say, hey, I want to follow him. And what baptism expresses then is this kind of outward expression of something that happens inward to this commitment that we have. Now, this is what the jar believes, that baptism should be a place where a person finally has understanding to commit to it and we encourage people usually most of the time that fifth grade kind of becomes that place where you can do that. Now, the other form of baptism is infant baptism. Infant baptism is where parents make this commitment to baptize the child, and the child is immediately a part of the household of God. But this is what is true about that thought, is that there is nowhere in Scripture, there's not a single Scripture reference that refers to infant baptism. It just isn't there. You can look, you can't find it. There's one place where it talks about a family was baptized, but there's nowhere where infant baptism was the norm. This was a later development that happened by a guy by the name of Constantine, who was a Roman emperor. And what he decided is that all of Rome should be under one religion, and it should be Christianity. And when that took place, he uh, did it because there was political gain in doing this, because the Christians were growing. And when that happened, all of a sudden infant baptism started to surface because they would be baptized into the Roman Empire, but also into Christianity as well. Again, folks, I would not uh, go to war on infant or that. All I'm saying is that when you look at Scripture, it's not present there. And believer's baptism tends to be the norm. Now, what we encourage here at the JAR for infants or children is what we call dedication, child dedication, infant dedication. Uh, Jesus himself, eight days after he's born, uh, his parents, Mary and Joseph, take him to the temple, and he's actually dedicated there unto God. And we believe the same thing, that parents should make that commitment. This is where parents dedicate their children because they want to let others know that they're partnering with God and their family and their church family to raise Christian morals to that child. This is where parents publicly commit before God and the church family that they want to lead and spiritually nurture that child to a point that one day they might accept Christ themselves. Infant dedication is where parents say, God, I devote myself. God, I'm committing as a parent or as parents. I'm committing myself to raise this child in such a way that they will follow the thing that is most important, and that is knowing you, loving you, and following you. And we want to help parents to do that. In fact, we have a special place where we try to partner with parents to help their kids grow spiritually, and it's called Jar Kids. There are five kids hanging off the ceiling right now. No, I'm joking. All of you looked, though, didn't you? You're like, oh, I hope it's not my kid, right? No, I'm joking. Um, but this is what's really cool. We have 75 adults that volunteer in a month to be able to go and to help with our kids. Isn't that awesome? I mean, uh, that's something we should thank them for. 
And in a couple of weeks, one of the things that we'll be doing is encouraging some of you to say, hey, you know what, I could give one hour, one month to be able to help with that. And I hope many of you will step up to do that. But the thing is, we here at the JAR, we believe that infants are a gift from God. We never believe that, oh, if the baby's not baptized, that the baby's going to hell. That's just dumb thinking. That would make God an evil God. God's not an evil God. He's a good God. And he would always take care of the innocent no matter what. Now, this is what's true about babies, though, is that they don't stay babies. And in a couple of years, they grow up. And something else joins them besides their innocence and their cuteness and their love. Anyone want to guess what joins them after a couple of years? Wickedness. Wickedness. It's depravity. And it will emerge over time. You know why I know this? Because I've seen it in my two kids who are now seven and nine. And I know where they got it. You know where they got it from? The church nursery. That's where they got it from. And do you know where they got it in the church nursery? Your kids. Your kids have brought wickedness to my kids. Um, But the most innocent of child, at some point, folks, they eventually go to the dark side. Here's a goofy story. A mom is at home, and she has a five-year-old, and she has a brand-new baby. And the five-year-old and the brand-new baby are in the other room. And she hears this horrible uh, crying. And she asks, you know, what's going on? And the uh, five-year-old says, the baby pulled my hair. So the mom says, well, the baby doesn't know that you're pulling, you know, that the baby boy is pulling your hair. Uh, The baby doesn't know. Just give the baby a break. Babies do that sometimes. It's no big deal. Just let it go. A minute later, there is another scream. And the mom asks, what's happened now? And the five-year-old says, now the baby knows. (laughs) Babies and children are wonderful gifts. And we encourage parents to come to Christ first and then to dedicate their kids. Because here at the JAR, we really do believe in adult believers' baptism and infant dedication. Now, one last thing on baptism before we uh, move to communion. And it's this. If you call yourself a Christian and you haven't been baptized yet, this is my question. Why not? Like, what is holding you back? Tonight we'll have 20 people that are baptized. And if you're a person that says, there's really nothing holding me back either, then just show up. Now, wear, wear some swim trunks. Don't, like, come in a Speedo or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, wear some swim trunks. But we'll have a shirt for you and just make the decision today. Don't wait. If you've been waiting for a person, because that happens sometimes. People are like, I want to get baptized, but I want to wait on my spouse, or I want to wait on my friend, or I want to... No! Don't do that. Stop waiting. This is between you and God. Do it now. Sometimes what happens, too, is that Christ followers have been a Christ follower for a very long time, and they're kind of embarrassed by the fact that they never got baptized. And they think to themselves, well... If I get baptized now, and I've followed Jesus this whole time, people are going to be like, you mean you haven't been baptized? I mean, like, you've been in the church, and I've heard you teach on things, and what's that about? Let me ask you this, folks. When you face God face-to-face, and he asks you, why didn't you get baptized? It is not going to be a very wise thing for you to say, I was embarrassed. I didn't want other people to think that I was a bad person. Just get it done. 
do it. So if you are interested, come up and uh, see me. And uh, this is the truth. When someone gets baptized in the jar, there's only two things that we do. This is what we do. Yay, God! You know what the second thing is we do? Yay, you! For making that decision. And that's it. So if you want to get baptized, let me know, and we can do that. All right, let's look now at communion, or the Lord's table, the Lord's supper that Jesus practiced. Now again, sometimes in our world, this can kind of become autopilot. We go, we just run through the motions doing that kind of thing. Again, in the early church, communion, though, it was not a casual practice. The writers of Scripture take the Lord's Supper with intense seriousness. Uh, Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord because of what it signifies. It's what it signifies that you're guilty of what that is. Jesus said, I want you to remember me because of what I did. It's very interesting that just a chapter before, in chapter 10, uh, this is what we're told, that Paul refers to communion as the Lord's table. The Lord's table. Now, that phrase is very striking because in Jesus' day, whose table you got invited to, or whose table you invited to come to your place, it was like a really, really big deal. Big deal. And the problem was that Jesus got in trouble all the time because of whose table he ate at. Whether it was a prostitute, a tax collector, or someone else, Jesus didn't care what table it was, he would just go and be present with them because he liked eating with the wrong type of people. What you need to remember, too, is that Jesus was a poor man. He didn't own a home. He didn't have a table. And so throughout Scripture, there is not a single time where we see him being the host. Jesus is always the guest except at one place. One time, he invites all the disciples to come and to celebrate a Passover meal, a a Jewish celebration of remembering what God had done for them. But even when he invited the disciples to come, this is what you need to remember, that he didn't have a room. He had to borrow a room. He didn't have a table. He had to borrow a table. But once Jesus got around the table with his disciples, this is what he said to them. He said, I have eagerly looked forward to eating this Passover dinner with you. And as far as we know, folks, this is the only time in Scripture where he has ever the host. And as he's at this table, what did he offer them? It wasn't just a meal. It wasn't just bread and cup. He said, I'm offering myself. I'm giving my very self to you. And when we go to the Lord's table, that's what he says. Remember, that's what I give to you, my very self. You know, this is the Lord's table. And he still invites some very questionable people to it, just like me. And Jesus gathers his friends on that 
particular time. And he took some bread. And he gave thanks to God and he raised it to him and he broke it. And then he gave it to them. And he said, hey, take and eat. But remember me. Remember me. Do this regularly so that you might remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup and he gave thanks to God. And he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. The bread is my body broken for you. But this, this is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And he says, take and drink of it. But remember me. Do it regularly. I died for you. Remember me. Now, I can just imagine that if the disciples were there and he's saying, remember me, I'm sure they're like, Jesus, how could we ever forget you? How could you think that we could ever forget you? And folks, and folks, that's exactly the problem. I forget Jesus all the time. I walk through my day. And I feel guilt and shame for something that I've done. But rather than going to Jesus, I try to fix it myself. I know I'm supposed to serve someone, but I don't do it. I, I forget. I forget Jesus all the time. Maybe you walk through your moment and you think, well, I've got a family. I've got a church family. And yet you feel alone and you forget all the time. And we need to remember. I forget Jesus all the time. And remembering, folks, is a powerful, powerful exercise. Why do, you have, why do you think they have things like the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Because they want you to remember. Why do you think there are monuments and memorials all over the place? Because they want you to remember. Why is it that you take so many videotapes uh, or videos and uh, tapes? You don't even have tapes anymore, do you? I have tapes, okay? Uh, why do you take videos and why do you take pictures and why do you put scrapbooks together and get on Google and figure out how to do all this Google Chrome picture video file deal that you're doing? Because you want to remember. And remembering in the Bible is very important because in the Bible, when you remember something, it's as if you do it right. What was real in the past actually now becomes real in the present, right here, right now. And you're changed by it. And that's what it means to remember. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, he put it this way when he was referring to Jesus' words at the Lord's table. He said this, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in, what's it say? Remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new, cup, uh, the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in what? Remembrance of me, as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And Jesus said to his friends, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. And there are three things that I want you to remember. The first is this. I want you to look back at the cross and remember me. Don't ever forget what I did for you. Don't ever forget how much I love you. That I stretched my arms on a cross and I took it all for you. All for you. My body was broken. 
my blood poured out just for you. And this is what I want you to know today, that if you were the only person on planet Earth in that moment, Jesus would have died just for you. He wasn't worried about numbers games. He was worried about you and a relationship with you because he loves you. Second thing, he wants us to remember that we have to look ahead to the fact that he's going to come again. That there's hope, folks. This is not the end of it all. He came the first time as a suffering servant, but the second time he's going to come as a conquering king and there'll be no more death No more sorrow, no more cancer, no more injury, no more broken relationships. Everything will be made whole. And when we come to share communion together, we're reminded again that this is not the end, that he is coming again. Third thing, when you come to the table, you look within. You look within and you ask yourself, maybe there's something within me that may not be pleasing to God. It may just not be pleasing to him. That you come to God and you're just honest. You say, God, here's my faults, here's my failures, here's my mess-ups, here's my flub-ups, here's my screw-ups. This is me, folks. And you're honest with God. Communion is a practice where we do it on a regular basis. Why do you think we do communion on a regular basis? Because we keep on sinning. We keep on messing up. We keep on falling away from God. And maybe most of all, we keep forgetting Him. And when I come to the table, and I come to the Lord's table, Jesus is present in that moment, and this is what He says. Remember me. Would you remember me? Would you remember me? Would you Remember me? Today we're going to experience communion, the bread and the cup. It's a time where we say, hey God, I'm sorry for not pleasing you in these certain areas of my life. And surrounding you are tables. There's tables in both corners that you can go to. There's tables up here, up front, that you can come to as well. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ... You're welcome to come to these tables. And maybe today you're like, I want one with him, though. I want a relationship with him. You're welcome. And if you're sitting there for the first time and you're like, you know what? This is all new to me. I just don't even get it. It's fine. You don't have to go to the table. No one will ever know. But if you're a Christ follower, today you want to make that your commitment. These tables are Jesus' tables. They're not the jars' tables. They're not Chris Bunch's tables. Jesus is there, and he just simply is asking, will you remember me? Will you remember me? Will you remember what I did on the cross? Will you remember that, hey, I give you hope that I'm coming back again? And will you remember those things in your life that separate you from me? So right now, I want to give you a moment that for some of you, it may be the only quiet moment you have all week. But you can be quiet just between you and God and go through those things of remembering what He did on the cross, remembering that He's going to come again, and remembering, God, these are the areas of my life that I have not pleased you in. And so I'm going to give you a moment right now just to bow your heads, close your eyes, 
ask God to remove those things that are sinful in your life and to remember Him. And then after that, I'll close this in prayer and you're welcome to go to the tables. And after you've taken it from the tables, please come back and we're going to close in celebrating this gift of communion through a song that Derek will lead us in. So take a moment right now, just between you and God. Where have you fallen short? And thank Him for remembering you every day. we want to thank you so much that you invite us to your table. And now we come